0: Welcome to Making Money Fun with Shanna Tinjum. Like you, Shanna had all kinds of questions about money and finances from a very young age. She learned to not be frightened of financial discussions and became an expert on managing money in the process. Shanna and her guests are here to demystify money, investing, and personal finance. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. Shanna Tinjam, Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge guests on this show and Heritage Financial Strategies are not affiliated. Let's get started. Here's your host, Shanna Tinjam.
1: Welcome back, everyone. My name is Shannon Tingem, the host of Making Money Fun, and I am super excited for a couple of reasons today. We are Facebook live streaming this as well, and it is over on the Modern Law Facebook page, and the guest that I have with me is Billy, the um, chief guru. I think she might say chief cook and, cook and bottle washer, but... <laughs> Um, With Modern Law. And I've just recently gotten to know Billy through the Second Saturday workshops that I do in Gilbert for women that are considering or in the divorce process. And I really love, Billy, your practice and your focus and just really everything about how you work with clients. Welcome in. Thank you so much, Anna. It's so great to be here. (laughs) You bet. And if any of you are listening, please go to Modern Law on Facebook and you will be able to see the live stream and really ask us any questions that you have live um, on Facebook. So I am super excited that you're here, Billy. Tell us a little bit about how you ended up where you are and how you ended up
2: founding Modern Law and really working in the area of divorce. Sure. Um, Well, uh, the reason that I am in divorce if we're just gonna jump right on into it, <laughs> is uh, when I was nineteen and in college, my parents went through mm. a divorce, and it was it was major, it was yeah. life changing, mm. and um, it is for every single family, and that can't be underrated, right. you know, because just because divorce is common doesn't mean that this isn't huge, earth-shattering, life-changing. So as I was, you know, part of my parents' divorce in a, you know, tangential (laughs) way. Yep. it became really clear to me the role that the attorneys had and how it really did affect their futures. Mm. So I knew I was going to law school and I wanted to do something that would matter. Mm. And I, you know, since that day, since that time, fully believe that what we do at Modern Law and what we do working with families going through divorce or custody issues matters. Yeah,
1: I, I absolutely agree. And and I hear a lot from people that, you know, well, mine should be an easy divorce. I don't know. I don't need an attorney I, as I'm doing air quotes, need, and I, I don't know that that's, you know, th- that may be the case sometimes, but I, I don't know that any divorce is really easy or uncomplicated. I mean, I, I've been through it myself. I totally get what you're saying, and even if you don't have a lot of assets or children, it's still really emotional, and you still kind of need that support coming from somewhere, don't you?
2: Yeah. I mean, you're bringing up a great point, and it's it's a point that we at Modern Law really embrace. Um divorce is not simply a legal event mm, for sure uh, so when you come to a lawyer and they're you know pretty cut and dried and only talking about you know this is the law and what the law says and um you're kind of ignoring how Complicated and how dynamic the situation can be. Right. So um, you know what, you could have a case that is legally extremely simple. Mm-hmm. No kids, no assets, short marriage. Mm-hmm. I'm going my way and taking the debt in my in my name. Mm-hmm. You go yours. I get the car. You get the car. You know, period. Mm-hmm. End of story. And that's pretty darn simple. Right. And honestly, there's no reason that yep. that a smart individual with the right tools can't do that on their own.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, tell me a little bit about that. What sort of tools? If somebody's in that. I'm considering it, uh, we're getting ready to file, this is going to be simple, technically simple. What sort of tools do they need in order to really decide if they should do it themselves or if they should consult an attorney?
2: Well, the fact is that 80% of couples going through divorce don't have an attorney. Mm, okay. And that includes lots of people who need attorneys. Sure. So, sure. <laughs> so, just because they don't have one doesn't right. necessarily mean they shouldn't have one. Right, right. right. But the the fact is that c- attorneys cost a lot of money. Right. And so one of the goals, uh, one of the founding principles of modern law, um is to increase access to justice. And one of the ways we've done that is we have a sister company. uh, Modern Law is a law firm. Mm -hmm. And Access Legal is a sister company that provides free resources to people who are getting divorced. Wow, okay. Webinars, articles, um, free legal document templates that came out of our law firm that we make available to the public. Wow, that's huge. Yeah. So then
1: how do they, now is that just in the state of Arizona? Yes. Okay. By the way, if you're listening or watching from any other state, um, there are all kinds of legal disclaimers we could throw in here, but these are just Arizona state-specific rules. Right. Some of them, and as we get into the conversations about assets and we talk about federal laws they'll, that pertain to IRAs or 401ks are federal laws, but specific to Arizona, because Arizona is a community property state, we do things a little differently than
2: some other states, correct? Yeah, that's right. And... Um You know, I was also licensed in Oregon, and that that license is no longer active, but that's not a community property state. But most states, even that aren't community property, kind of treat property at the end of a divorce the same way. Okay. Okay. So tell us a little bit about that. What does that exactly mean in practical purposes? Well, if you don't have a prenuptial agreement, Mm -hmm. then you know, the date you you become married, you're almost like a company, like your own entity of the community. Okay. I'm using air quotes, but (laughs) you know, the community takes actions on behalf of the community okay. and on behalf of each other. Okay, it's, it's like an old school partnership where each each partner has the ability to bind the other, and regardless of who does what, as far as um, you know, who makes what money or enters into what transactions, mm-hmm. they are equally on behalf of both parties. Oh, that makes sense. So
1: then, if um, if we're in the situation with a community property state, is there something we should do? Differently, or more of, or um, to to m- really um, maybe separate the 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 business from the marriage, or d- does that even work? I mean, can we
2: take steps to to you know minimize the damage? It really depends on what you mean by that. Okay. Um It depends on what the couple wants okay. to do. Okay. Okay. What their goals are. Okay. If your goal is like most people most people really get married and intend to have a full partnership and intend to share everything and so there's really no need for a prenuptial agreement you just need to understand that everything you do is for the benefit of each other and okay. so let's say that there's one spouse who has like a spending problem okay. and racks up a bunch of bills both mm-hmm. spouses are equally responsible under okay. you know in a community property state for that debt okay and vice versa if one spouse makes a lot of money that spouse um is making money on behalf of the community so what that means is upon a divorce it's going to be divided now during the marriage they can do whatever they want okay so okay. and and couples do things different ways. You know, some couples keep their finances separate during their marriage and they talk about, you know, my money is the money I make and your money is the money you make and that may be the way you're running your marriage, but it won't be the way it works when you get divorced. Got it. I th- I don't think a lot of people realize that, do they? No, no. And <laughs> okay. I mean, there are people who in throughout the whole entire divorce process will say things, but this is mine, I bought it. Well, not really. <laughs> yeah, not
1: not really. Not the way not the way it really works out if you're in in a community property state for sure. it may, That may be a little bit more um, appropriate if you're not, if because I think you can do some sole and separate things if you're not in a community property state that maybe you can't do when you're dealing with, with those types of things here in the state of, of Arizona or any of those states. Now, you mentioned racking up a lot of debt, and mm-hmm. that's a, a a subject that I want to talk about first. So one of the biggest questions I get from women that are considering or are getting ready to go through a divorce is how do I protect my my financial interests, credit is a big one Mm -hmm. so what should I do to make sure that you know I don't end up in more trouble than we already are are there some steps that you might suggest for women that are either considering divorce or going through divorce to really make sure that those interests are protected
2: definitely one of the first things that we recommend is that you pull a credit report okay and just make sure that you know what's out there okay um, because not everybody does right um and then the next step is is really figuring out a realistic budget. Mm-hmm and assessing where is your credit at today? Mm -hmm. And what is my game plan moving forward financially? Right, right. Now, there,
1: I think, are a lot of misconceptions out there around, you know, I take my debt, you take your debt. And if it's marital debt, and both names are on it, you know, how does that work practically? Like, let's talk a little bit about mortgages specifically, because that's Mm -hmm. a biggie. Mm -hmm. And then credit card debt or car loans or student loans that maybe both people's names are on. How does that work with a divorce?
2: Mm -hmm. Well, if both people's names are on a debt so let's say a mortgage you Mm -hmm. know um uh and one person is awarded the home okay the third party creditor is not bound by the divorce decree okay so the divorce decree let's say says that husband's going to be responsible for the mortgage okay the mortgager has the ability to go after both spouses who signed on the loan got it then the person who um you know, wasn't responsible per the divorce decree can theoretically collect from the non-paying spouse. Mm. But again, this is theoretically and it means your credit's messed up. Yeah. So so the best thing that we can do is try to figure out a way to um, close any joint debt.
1: Okay. So w- with the situation of a mortgage, are we having to remortgage, you know, get a new mortgage on the house? And is that part of the divorce decree where we say you have X amount of time to refinance the house out of my
2: name? Is that, is that what normally happens? That is... I wouldn't say what normally happens, okay. but that's what should happen. Oh, I mean, got it. <laughs> that's what, what we recommend the vast majority of the time is you either refinance by this period of time or mm-hmm. you sell the house. Got it. And how long do we usually give people to refinance? It depends on the couple, you know, and if they're coming up with an agreement or not. Okay. And how likely is it that they're going to actually be able to refinance, mm. right? So... If it's unlikely somebody's going to qualify, but they're like, I got this, I want to retry this, then yep. we'll give them like 30, 45 days. Okay. But if it's likely they, they should be able to do it, then we might give them a little longer. Okay, that makes sense. And then
1: as far as the, the deed to the property, how do we handle taking that that spouse's name off that's now not going to be responsible for the mortgage. Is that handled through the mortgage process?
2: No. Okay. Um, that is handled through a, a, you know, a quick claim deed okay. or um, some other type of deed because there's a lot of types of deeds, but mm-hmm. that's fairly simple okay. because it doesn't involve a third party, right. you know? So it doesn't, we don't need the mortgager to sign off on transferring the title of the property. So what can happen is you can end up responsible for a house that you don't own. Yeah. I was just thinking that, Billy. So Explain in detail what you mean by that.
1: So what I what I hear you saying is, you know, you, you want to make sure that you're not taking somebody's name off the house deed if they're not still responsible, if they're not going to be responsible for the mortgage, because they're two separate things, right? Exactly. Okay. So we want to make sure to let everybody know that if we're going to do the quick claim deed, like you mentioned, or some type of scenario where we remove that ex-spouse from the, the deed that does not remove them from the mortgage exactly and they should be done simultaneously or or thereabouts right so that we and, and if you're the spouse that ends up leaving the house you don't want to disclaim your interest in a property but still be responsible for the mortgage correct
2: right and then yeah. the other thing is you know that that's tying up a good portion of your available credit wow right so yeah, i mean right. you, you can only borrow so much as compared to your income and so if if you've left, you know, a hundred thousand dollars of your available credit in a house that you don't own mm it's something that you should consider before you yeah, do it.
1: Yeah. Right, so that's considered in the division of assets if you've got quote equity that's sitting in that house that you can't necessarily access. Does that mean that 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 if i hear you correctly, you're that sort of that may end up balancing other things out? Is that sort of the way it works or no?
2: Well, i was simply talking about the amount of available credit you might okay. have. So for instance, you know, let's say that that creditors i can only be um, ac- you know, given $100,000 of potential credit. Oh, uh, got it. Okay. So that's what I was talking about. But what you're talking about is um, how do you get your equity out of the yeah. house if they don't refinance?
1: Right. Because that, if that's part of the divorce decree and you say, hey, you have to refinance within 90 days and you were counting on that equity to be able to buy a new house or or, or move forward in your life and that doesn't happen, then can the sale of the house
2: be forced? if it's in the decree and it okay. should be. Okay. So the de- the decree should, pr- you know, usually under normal circumstances mm-hmm. sh- say something like you have, you know, 90 days to refinance and if, if you don't refinance after that, the house goes on the market. Okay. And it should probably even go a step further. Who's going to be the realtor? Mm. Who's going to make the decisions? Who's going to be responsible for the repairs and the upkeep? You right. know, there's all these, that's really our job is to kind of predict future problems and head them off. Head them off. And that's where I see people that are trying to do it themselves
1: with forms that they bought off some website they don't understand that so they might actually even be smart enough to put the sale gets forced in the divorce decree but good luck trying to do it if you're not the spouse living in the house yeah. you know good luck trying to enforce that right yeah you're I mean, absolutely right oh you know one Lord. of the
2: things that that i think is that right now information is really free mm-hmm. people don't really need to come to lawyers for information you can find the laws right. online so what makes us valuable? Mm-hmm. It's our experience. Mm. It's our knowledge of the system. Yep. It's, it, it, you know, it's those things that you can't buy, that you right. can't find online.
1: Right. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. And I, I think you've probably seen so many things that have gone well or not gone well to be able to anticipate. You know, when somebody says, hey, this is X, Y, Z is what I want, you you have had that experience before where they probably haven't.
2: Yeah. I mean, we can certainly
1: offer some perspectives. right. Right. Absolutely. Now, another thing that, that it kind of becomes interesting in this conversation is preparing to file for divorce or leave your spouse. If you've got joint checking accounts and everybody sees everything, how do you kind of untangle that? What's the best practice there for, for anybody that might be listening that is considering this?
2: Well, one of the things you have to ask yourself is, you know, you know your spouse better than anybody else in the world. How's this going to go down? Mm. You know? Like, Mm -hmm. is this something where the two of you have been talking about it, everybody's on the same page, everybody's super responsible, nobody's an overspender, and Mm -hmm. we're going to be able to amicably split everything up without anybody hiding anything? Right. That does happen. Yeah, for sure. But more often than not, it doesn't. Yeah. So when you don't anticipate that happening, or if there's any chance that money's gonna go missing mm. or whatnot, you need to kinda of protect yourself in advance.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree. So so then would that be opening like their own checking account maybe without the spouse's name on it at a different bank, let's say, so that they can start to squirrel away a little bit of money so that they know that they're okay with like paying some filing fees or attorneys fees or even to get out of the house if they're if that's necessary.
2: Yeah. So, I think that people need to come up with a plan mm-hmm. before they do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, what is my plan? Am I yep. going to stay in the house? Right. Uh, am I going to move out? Okay. Um, if I'm moving out, how am I going to pay my bills mm-hmm. and pay the the community's expenses, you know, the, the house that we had? Right. So, it really comes down to a very practical plan. And then once you know what you want, then we work backwards to figure out how to do it. How to accomplish that. Okay. So, um, I don't know from your
1: experience if, if you see this more often than not, but the other thing that I see a lot, and sometimes it's intentional and sometimes it isn't, is spouses that have gotten divorced leaving um, their ex-spouse, and either by, by design or not, as beneficiaries on investment accounts, life insurance, um, bank accounts, those sort of things. And if they have kids together, it might be intentional, but more often than not, I get the, wow, I didn't think about that um you know and and so do you is is that part of the process then when they're looking at divorce sort of to think about those types of things or is that something they typically do with somebody like me like a financial advisor after the fact
2: you're bringing up a really excellent point so when you get divorced Arizona law kind of automatically revokes um wills that leave your ex-spouse as a beneficiary. They're okay. going to assume that that was a mistake. Ah, very good. Um but that does that's not the case for all assets and then there's well what happens in the pendency or mm. you know while you're waiting for divorce because that could be 12 months. Yeah. It could be even longer. Right. So while you're married, you can make any decisions you want. Okay. Once you get once you file for divorce, a preliminary injunction goes into place. Okay. Which says you can't change anything. Oh, uh, okay. So if you wanna start making changes to beneficiary designations, you need to do that before you file for divorce. Uh,
1: got it. And you know, you brought up a good point. You said, you know, it could be up to twelve months and I've heard stories of it taking much longer mm-hmm. or not taking nearly as long so mm-hmm. when we get back from the break that's what i want to talk a little bit with you about is what's the quote-unquote normal process i know there really isn't one but how does that work and at what stages should we be considering making certain financial moves you mentioned beneficiaries but and, and we've already talked a little bit about opening checking accounts but when we come back from the break i want to talk about that in a little more detail this is shanna tingham with the making money fun show
0: comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network are you going through a life change like divorce death of a spouse or starting a business are you tired of financial professionals talking at you instead of with you are you worried that you may not have enough money to retire or to live the lifestyle you want in retirement if you answered yes to any of these questions then you need to contact heritage financial strategies today At Heritage Financial Strategies, we'll get to know your goals and dreams and design a plan together to get to achieve those dreams. Call 480-397-1184 or visit heritagefinancialad.com.
1: My goal is to develop a relationship where you feel like you can ask me any question and know that I'll give you an honest answer.
0: Again, that's 480-397-1184 or heritagefinancialad.com shannon tinjam registered representative securities offered through cambridge investment research inc a broker dealer member finra sipc shannon Tinjum, investment advisor representative cambridge investment research advisors inc a registered investment advisor cambridge and heritage financial strategies are not affiliated when it comes to business you'll
2: find the experts here voice america business network
0: You are listening to making money fun with your host shanna Tinjum. to reach shanna or her guest today call into the program at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you may also send an email to shanna at heritagefinancialaz.com now back to making money fun
1: Welcome back, everybody. My name is Shanna Tingem. I am your host. Um, this wonderful program is called Making Money Fun, and this is certainly not a fun topic today. So <laughs> it's a little bit of a misnomer um, today, but I do believe firmly that by having the right information and the right people in your corner, what is a horrible process can actually um, be a little more empowering, a little and and be smoother than than you know what what you might be feeling when you're thinking of. The, you know, f- the process of divorce. And so before the break, I talk with Billy from Mo- Modern Law and your website's mymodernlaw.com, right? That's right. Okay, perfect. So if any of you want to go uh, check that out, feel free to do that. And during the break, we talked a little bit about this as well. But I want to talk a little bit about uh, with you right now, Billy, about the process in Arizona for divorce. Mm-hmm. And then I also want to talk about what it means, the difference really between a divorce and a legal
2: separation. So let's start with the divorce process. Sure, so all divorces start uh, with a petition and someone has to be the petitioner. So okay. there is no uncontested divorce where your co petitioners in Arizona. Somebody is going to file the petition and um, then the petition needs to be served and that can be done in a number of ways, including somebody just signing an acceptance of service. Okay. Um, After the person has been served with the petition, they have 20 days, if they're living in Arizona, to respond. Okay. And either the petitioner or the respondent at that point can also file a motion for temporary orders. Okay. If you want to get in front of the judge and get some temporary orders on things like, you know, custody or temporary support or, you know, who's going to live in the house and pay the bills, anything really. Okay. All right. And then once that is, is that sort of
1: the beginning of the decision-making process then? Or is that all happened beforehand?
2: Nope. That's how the, the process starts. Okay. And then the next thing that happens is the court schedules an RMC or a resolution management conference. It's like a pretrial conference okay. just to kind of figure out where everybody's at. Okay. So at Modern Law, what we do is we have a map of, okay, what is going to go on in the court? Okay. And what are we going to do on our end? Okay. So that's what's going on in the court. And then on our end, we're having, you know, strategy sessions and planning meetings meetings and figuring out which documents we need to disclose and what's what are our issues going to be and how do we get you to where you want to go. Okay. And so you said it could take up to 12 months for a divorce. Why so long? Yeah. And I mean, when I say up to 12 months, that's by no means the maximum <laughs> <length of> time. <laughs> Believe just, me, just I, I can understand clear, that. Yeah. Um, why does it take so long? That's a good question. <laughs> um, uh, so you you would get scheduled for a resolution management conference okay. in front of a judge, and that usually takes uh, between thirty and sixty days after you filed the petition. okay, And then at that conference, the judge usually sends you to some sort of third party, either okay. a um, an ADR, which is a, an alternative dispute resolution or a mediation with a private judge, okay, or some sort of a parenting conference, or some other third party gets involved. And then that leads us to what we call in our office as phase two. So phase okay. one is kind of up to that RMC okay. or through a temporary orders hearing. And then phase two is really the, the, the middle of the case, which is where you're doing all of your discovery, finding documents, um, negotiating, and that ends for us when you set a trial date. So okay. usually at the RMC, the court won't set a trial date. Okay, They'll wait until after they've sent you to go do all your homework, and then you have a status conference, and at that status conference typically is when you get an actual trial date. Okay. And so what it sounds to me
1: like, what I, what I think I'm hearing is that the delays really are because you've got these different steps in the process. Hearings or, or sessions have to be scheduled, and there's a certain amount of time per the statutes that have to ellipse between those. Is that sort of what I'm hearing is even if you're kind of a good at dotting all your I's and crossing all your T's, there's still a little bit of a waiting game when it comes to how everything has to be filed, in what order, and by what time. Is that what I'm hearing
2: definitely okay. if you're going to go through the court process and you cannot come up with an agreement it's going to take a long time mm. now if you want to bypass all of that because the two of you agree then all you need is a petition mm-hmm. and a consent decree okay so the consent decree would be, okay, I'm going to file the petition. I'm going to give it to you. We're going to agree on everything. We're going to come up with a decree. Mm-hmm. A decree is your court order. Right. And a consent decree means we agree to it. Okay. And we're going to file that along with a child support worksheet and a parenting plan, with okay. both of our signatures. And then there's a 60-day waiting period. Okay. But that's really your only time constraint. So mm. after you file that petition, you got to wait 60 days, and then we can file the consent decree, parenting plan, and child support worksheet and get you divorced.
1: Okay, so it could be as little as like, three or four months, if everybody's in agreement, we have all the paperwork, we don't want, we, we're fighting about anything, all of that stuff. Is that sort of what I'm hearing? Yes. Okay. I mean, the
2: fastest it could potentially be would be 60 days. Okay. All right.
1: So that's reasonable. But if you're going to argue about every little thing and, and you you don't agree on, you know, parents uh, parenting or splitting assets or any of that other stuff, then that's when... You know, the clock starts ticking and we, it ends up taking a lot longer and costing a lot more money, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so let's talk next a little bit as well about se- uh, legal separation mm-hmm. and really what that means, specifically in the state of Arizona, but what it means, why somebody would want to do it as mm-hmm. opposed to just waiting to get divorced mm-hmm. and
2: all of that stuff. So share a little bit with us about that, Billy. There's a couple reasons that someone might file for legal separation. Um Number one, there's a residency requirement before you file for divorce. You have to have been in Arizona for 90 days. Okay. Someone needs okay. to have been here before you can file for divorce. Okay. That doesn't exist with legal separation. So if you have somebody who's just moved here, but everybody's here, you can file for legal separation. Okay. What that means is once the petition is served, mm-hmm. your community ends. Okay. That's why this is important because um, okay. at that moment when the petition is served, that is when the money that you make is now your money Okay, and the money that your spouse makes is now their money. Oh, and the okay. debt they rack up is theirs and the debt you rack up is theirs. Oh, got it. That makes sense. So if you're really
1: concerned, if you have a uh, a spouse that maybe has a gambling problem or a spending problem or a drug problem or something like that where you don't necessarily want to be legally responsible for their bad behavior after that date, then you might want to consider doing the legal separation in
2: preparation for waiting for the divorce maybe taking a little longer. So... I need to be uh, clear. So, okay. when you serve the petition for either divorce or legal separation, that's when the community stops. Oh, got it. Okay, so either way, either way, okay, that's when the community stops. Got it. But if you don't meet the residency uh, requirements, okay. you need to file for legal separation because sure. you can't file because you divorce. can't file
1: for divorce. Got it. So, what in what what other circumstances would it be appropriate to consider the legal separation first?
2: You know, I had somebody in my office who, for immigration purposes. Mm. Okay. Um, couldn't get divorced. Okay. But they were ready to to move forward and wanted Mm -hmm. to get divorced. So so we filed a a legal separation in that case. And I don't want to say that I don't want to make any commitments that 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 was the right thing to do. Somehow, you know, immigration is I don't know. Yeah. Because I'm not an immigration attorney. (laughs) But um, that was that was a good reason. Other times, sometimes you have health insurance providers who will Mm. continue to provide benefits for someone if they're legally separated, but not if they're divorced. So and then sometimes you have couples that like they just need to pause. Yeah, Somebody is going to rehab mm. or somebody has a gambling problem mm-hmm. and the spouse really needs protection yeah. and they need to limit their liability, but they have no intention of getting divorced.
1: Oh, uh, okay. And I've also heard of it applied where they don't believe in divorce because of religious reasons or whatever, but they want to be able to live two separate lives. That's really the only choice they have.
2: You know, it's interesting that you say that because that w- you, would, you would think that that would be like the majority of the reasons that people do it. Um, in the... 12 years I've been doing this. That hasn't come up a really? lot. But, but I don't know why, because that's a great reason yeah. to get legally separated if you don't believe in divorce.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that it's become more socially acceptable in the last 10 or 20 years to be divorced than it ever was when we were younger. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that could be a big, big part of the reason for it. But I, I find that really, really interesting. Um, so Let's talk a little bit about divorce as it relates to money and splitting assets. We talked about the house and what to do with the house. And I also want to talk a little bit now about credit cards, unsecured stuff, student loans, stuff that maybe both of your names are on. You're jointly responsible for it. Does that get handled in the divorce decree? And if so, how?
2: It does. And it's handled through the decree, which, which states, you know, you're taking this debt and I'm taking this debt. Okay. So... It doesn't affect those third parties like we talked about. Mm
1: Okay, so they can still come after you. So if you have a huge unsecured student loan or credit card and you're both jointly responsible and you're not the party that's responsible for paying it, you have to um, hope and pray that that responsible party does what they're supposed to do.
2: Yes. Wow, that's scary. It is. It's not ideal. Right, <laughs> for sure.
1: So then, if they don't pay it, they're coming after you for sure.
2: Well, they could, yeah. yeah. And it could absolutely ruin your credit. Oof. And yeah, it's it's not not an ideal situation. Yeah. Um, student loans almost always go to the person who incurred them mm-hmm. because that person is taking their degree with them. for sure. So, without regard to splitting everything else. So, it's Mm -hmm. almost treated like a separate debt. Okay. The uh, exception would be if you took out student loans for living expenses. Oh. So, if it benefited the community. Yeah, if you were using it for, you know, the way you would use wages. Okay. You know, to pay your bills. Okay. Then it would be fair to split that. But if you used that only to get your medical degree, Mm -hmm. you're you're taking your medical degree with you and that's your debt. Now, one thing I see, not as often as I, I think I used to
1: see it, but it also always um, scares me when a client asks, you know, we're looking at, because right now the rates are great for consolidation, and with student loan consolidation, a lot of people don't realize you can only do it once if it's a federally insured student loan. So I have a lot uh, of clients say, well, we're looking at consolidating both of our student loans, and they want us to consolidate them together. What mm-hmm. do you think of that idea? And I, I, I do everything I can do to convince them not to do that for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. But this is the big one um, that we're talking about. If you do a joint consolidation with husband and wife, somebody's going to end up. You cannot unconsolidate those mm-hmm. from from what I, I, have, I have heard. So somebody's going to end up paying on somebody else's student loan debt. Or you're going to have to, every month, remember to send that money over to that spouse who you're no longer married to. And it just mm-hmm. becomes an emotional kind of icky situation. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know if you agree with that, but I I jump up and down to try to get clients not to do a joint consolidation, do Mm -hmm. them two separately. And that way, if something were to happen, you get to take your debt and he gets to take his debt and life is... You know, a little bit easier.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great rule of thumb. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time I see student loans in individual names, mm-hmm. it's definitely the exception mm-hmm. that they are consolidated, but it makes it a whole lot more difficult to untangle it. Yeah. And now we're really treating it like something else. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it does. It's not afforded a lot of the same protections either once you consolidate it, um, and so that's something to be to definitely be aware of. Now, those are fairly easy when you're talking about you know it, um, investment accounts that aren't that aren't in a retirement account. You're talking about debt, but what about four hundred one k's, IRAs, and those types of things? We have to be really careful with that, don't we? I mean, uh, you know, and the courts deal with that specifically, don't they?
2: Yeah, there are specific. Um, federal laws that govern um, retirement accounts, okay. and it's because um, retirement accounts are individually owned okay. per the IRS. Yep. You know that's 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 the way it is, and and they're covered by the IRS code. So we needed the federal. Government to come in and, and give some kind of uniform guidance on mm-hmm. how these would be treated. Right. And ERISA is the statute that governs how retirement accounts are split. Okay, um, Most of the time, what happens is if it's a qualified plan, it's split pursuant to a quadro or a qualified domestic relations order. And what that means is you literally take the community portion of the retirement account and you split it up into... Two separate retirement accounts okay. that grow okay. Um, separately.
1: Okay, and um, one thing I do have to mention is is if it's through a quadro, like Billy is mentioning, that's the absolute right way to do it. I have a lot of uh, women that come to me for to you know our second Saturday workshops that say, "Well, he wants me to cash out part of my four hundred one k or IRA and just pay him," and that's the absolute wrong way to do it. It's not only going to um, cause you some tax issues, Mm -hmm. but it 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 also you know if you're worried about him doing something you know ridiculous with it, spending it, drinking it, or whatever, um, giving somebody a bucket of cash is probably the worst thing you can do. So that's why there are rules around the quadro that allow us as investment um, firms to. You know, divide those based on what the court says into a another qualified account, and there's no tax issues, there's no penalties, none of that when you do it right through the courts through the quadro. right?
2: Yeah, that's absolutely right. And um, it gets a little bit even more complicated because divorce is a non-taxable event. So transfers between spouses, at divorce is a non-taxable event, but the basis transfers. Mm. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that is? (laughs) Yeah, I will.
1: Absolutely. So whenever you buy an investment, there is a price that you purchase that investment at called the basis. And it could be your house, or it could be a share of stock. And if somebody passes away, you get to take the basis as of the date of their death and step up that basis in most cases. It is not that way when you're talking about a um, separation of assets through a divorce. So you end up taking the basis with you that was when you originally bought that investment. And if that investment has grown significantly, you could be in for a big, big, big tax problem down the road that you didn't anticipate.
2: Right, so if we look at like the, um, the situation with the house, mm-hmm. a house, a couple... Right can sell their home that they've lived in the past two out of five years and take up to five hundred thousand dollars in gains as non taxable income, yep, but for an individual, it's two hundred and fifty thousand yep, so if you've done very well in your house, let's say there's you know i don't know three thousand three hundred thousand dollars of gain and you're getting divorced and your husband's giving you the house and he's taking the offset in the retirement funds you're and when you sell that house you're going to have to pay tax On the fifty thousand dollars.
1: Yeah, and a lot of people don't realize that that's the consequence. Now that Mm -hmm. could be a real good reason to sell the house prior to the divorce, Mm -hmm. if Mm -hmm. that is going to be your situation. Which is another reason why you should consult somebody that Mm -hmm. may understand these rules, because I could take a look at your situation and give you that advice. Because if you're going to do it anyway, Mm -hmm. why not take advantage of that increased um, tax-free? situation with the with the primary residence
2: right or I mean could you could you at that point refinance it with your spouse take the money out change the basis uh, take advantage of the of the higher marital um, allowance for gains yep yep. Yep. So, there's a lot of things that can yep. be done with proper planning. That's a great point. And there's a lot of things that, if
1: you don't do them right, can't be undone. <laughs> you're, ab- <laughs> you're absolutely right. And,
2: you know, on that note, property division's non modifiable.
1: Oh, my Lord. Well, there's so much of that that I want to talk about when we come back from the last break because there are so many things that I see after the fact that I wish I had seen before mm-hmm. to be able to give just some slightly different advice that could have saved somebody hundreds of thousands of dollars and just a lot of emotional sort of turmoil when they realize they've kind of done things the way that they're not supposed to do. And that's one thing, the property division, and then also, you know, taking those taxable distributions out of retirement accounts when they should have just worked through the quadro process. And again, that's something that you can't undo. I Mm -hmm. mean, you can't unring the bell in a lot of cases. So it's really heartbreaking when they either don't get some advice or don't get the right advice Mm -hmm. because your mom dad sister brother has great intentions but they're not an attorney or a financial advisor Mm -hmm. so getting advice from them could be detrimental as well so we will talk about all that when we come back from the break this is shanna tingham with the making money fun show
0: the boardroom to you voice america business network are you going through a life change like divorce death of a spouse or starting a business are you tired of financial professionals talking at you instead of with you are you worried that you may not have enough money to retire or to live the lifestyle you want in retirement if you answered yes to any of these questions then you need to contact heritage financial strategies today At Heritage Financial Strategies, we'll get to know your goals and dreams and design a plan together to get to achieve those dreams. Call 480-397-1184 or visit heritagefinancialad.com. My goal is to develop a relationship where you feel like you can ask me any question and know that
1: I'll give you an honest answer.
0: Again, that's 480-397-1184 or heritagefinancialad.com. Shanna Tinjum, Registered Representative. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. Shanna Investment Advisor, Representative. Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge and Heritage Financial Strategies are not affiliated. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to making money fun with your host shanna Tinjum. to reach shanna or her guest today call into the program at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you may also send an email to shanna at heritagefinancialaz.com now back to making money fun
1: Welcome back, everybody. My name is Shanna Tinge. I'm the host of Making Money Fun, and I am in the office today with Billy from Modern Law, and we are talking about all things divorce, which certainly isn't fun, but it's necessary. And we do the best we can to maybe not make it fun, but to make it bearable. And one of the things that we were talking about right before the break and, and that we wanted to talk about as we come back was sort of things that, that uh, in the divorce process people maybe do incorrectly or mistakes that they make that could maybe be Um, avoided if they'd gotten the proper counsel. And I also want to let those of you that are listening know if you want to hop over to the Heritage Financial Strategies Facebook page, that is where we are live streaming now. And uh, feel free to hop over there and ask any questions that you have and we'll be live streaming this last segment from my Facebook page. So um, Billy, we were talking a little bit about property division and that's something that once it's done, it's done. Right. But um, what other things do you see in your practice that, that potentially could be issues like this or after the fact that you see that you wish that you had been able to do differently
2: well um, spousal maintenance is another one that you can't go back and redo so if there's no spousal maintenance issued you can never go back and get it Wow okay Wow, I didn't realize that. Is that in, uh, just in Arizona, or is that a
1: federal thing?
2: That's the law in Arizona. Okay. I'm not sure if that's the case elsewhere. But okay. in Arizona, if you don't get it, you can't go back and modify it. Now, if you do get it, it's usually modifiable unless the couple agrees in advance. It's going to be non-modifiable. Okay, and what would cause somebody to be able to modify their support? Um, an unanticipated change in circumstance. Okay. So somebody gets sick. Somebody gets disabled. Okay. Um, It's usually not, you know, my ex is making a whole lot more (laughs) money than...
1: He was when we he got divorced. He was when we got yeah. divorced.
2: That's not typically a good reason, but um, you know, my expenses changed, my I you know, I have a child who got sick. All of those are great reasons okay. to look back and modify. Okay. All right. So, um,
1: they they could go back because of a change in circumstance and not necessarily the the um, spouse's circumstance, but their own personal financial circumstance. Maybe they lost a job or or what whatnot. And, and then they can go back and sort of ask the court to reconsider those things.
2: Yes, okay. absolutely. And, and you know, your your spouse's, your ex-spouse's situation changing does matter. Okay. All right. So, you know, you, you inherit a ton of money or, you know, whatnot. Right. Whatever these unanticipated changes are, um, it can be a good reason to ask for a modification of spousal maintenance if you've gotten it in the original decree. Oh,
1: wow. That's huge. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people realize that. Now, is... Does that that work the same way with child support? Child
2: support is always modifiable. Okay. Anytime there's going to be um, a 15% change in the number you can get child support modified.
1: Okay, so either positive or negative. So either a spouse is doing much better or much worse than they were when you got divorced. Or
2: your expenses change, okay. child care goes up, health insurance goes up, you have more children. There's all sorts of reasons. Um, the parenting time arrangement changes that you can look at modifying child support. Okay, now let's talk a little bit about that too since you mentioned it, because I know the state of Arizona um,
1: you know, does, does things maybe a little differently than some other uh, parts of the country when it comes to, Um, joint custody. Mm -hmm. That's not even a thing here, is it?
2: No. (laughs) Technically, it is not a thing, although practically speaking... Even attorneys, everybody still says still says know, joint custody, custody because yeah. that's what it is all over the rest of the country and right. it has been forever. But um, in 2013, the legislature did away with the term custody, and so we now have legal decision making and we have parenting time. Hmm. Nobody has visitation. Everybody has parenting time. Wow, I like I actually like that term it's
1: much like, better. It's really nice. Yeah, I, I mean, really, it feels better to the kids, I would think too. Like I, I wouldn't want to say like, Hey, Dad's coming over for his visitation. That would just feel weird, wouldn't it's, it? It's
2: it's undermining. It's yeah. demeaning.
1: Yeah. So I like that change. I do too. Now, do you see a lot more families doing somewhat of a of an equal joint um, visit? Uh, there I go. I almost said it. Parenting <laughs> time. Um, do you see that happening more and more today than it, than maybe it
2: used to? Oh, for sure. Okay. Absolutely. Right. That's the new standard default. When okay. you have two good parents who can practically, um, you know, have equal parenting time and co-parent, that's what that's what the court wants to see, and that's what parents are wanting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, there are seven days in a week, right? So, mm-hmm. how does that, how do you make it equal?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of different ways that we can do that. Um, one of the most typical plans is a 5225 plan. Okay. And what that looks like, practically speaking, is that, you know, mom has Monday, Tuesday every single week, mm-hmm. dad has Wednesday, Thursday every single week, mm-hmm. and you rotate Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, or you might do a week on, week off, or, you know, some other version of, So
1: those are the ways that you try to sort of, quote unquote, make things equal. Right. And then you have to consider school breaks Mm -hmm. and holidays and all that stuff in there too so that one parent's not always getting Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever your political or uh, religious affiliations are, right? So those are all parts
2: of the decree, right? Yes, or the parenting plan that is attached to the decree. Okay, all right. Mm -hmm. So that's
1: all part of the negotiation. And can those terms be changed? as Well,
2: yes. Okay. Parenting time is another thing that's really always modifiable, although it's a little bit more difficult than child support. You can't go back every two months. Um, <laughs> if you have an order that's been entered, you need to wait 12 months uh, to ask for a change, and there has to be a change in circumstance. Okay. Or if somebody's not following the decree, you can go back after six months and ask for a modification. Okay. So all somebody right. went in, sense. they got equal parenting time, but it was only for child support, and mom has the kids all the time. Yeah. Uh, she can go back and ask for modification. Okay. Now, is child support
1: and parenting time are they linked together?
2: Yes. Okay. They are. Yes and no. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the answer might be maybe, or, but <laughs> they're they're linked together in that child support is calculated pursuant to a calculator, okay, and one of the inputs is the parenting time arrangement. So you're credited. Um, for time that okay. you spend with a child okay. but right. on the other hand if you're not receiving child support it doesn't mean that you can withhold parenting time
1: fair enough fair enough now another thing that I hear a lot from from uh, folks that have kids that have gone through divorce is you know the the maybe the somewhat un, unequitable um, agreement of you know well I bought the, I paid for club soccer for Johnny and now you owe me half of that and maybe the other spouse can't afford for Johnny to be in club soccer, um, and so it, it it can really be an interesting financial struggle for the spouse that isn't the one making those decisions. Like you said, that has legal decision making. Um, how do, can those get those situations get handled in a divorce decree and and all of the supporting documents?
2: Definitely. So okay. you're bringing up some great points. Legal decision making is really um, confined to decisions of school, medical religion, and personal care. Okay. That's it. Okay. So our extracurricular activities isn't even a legal decision-making thing. Wow. So, w- but we do want to account for those uncovered extracurricular expenses. You okay. know, what if somebody wants to do banned? Who's going to pay for it? And also, like, can mom sign up Johnny for soccer that is five days a week without mm-hmm. consulting dad, which means that during dad's parenting time, yep. he, he's got to figure it out. So these are all things that we like to figure out in advance.
1: Okay. So that can all be somewhat dealt with Definitely. knowing that as Johnny grows up, things will change and morph, but. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I can see that being a struggle. Now we're sort of making the assumption in all these conversations that mom and dad live in close proximity to each other. That's right. Um, how does it work if they don't? Well, um,
2: Maybe in not even in the
1: same school district or in the same state.
2: Yeah, I mean, in some ways, it gets easier. Okay. Because there's only so much you can do. <laughs> That's fair. You have yep. to work around the school schedule. Right. A child is going to go to school somewhere, right. and they're
1: going to go to the one school. We're not, they're not going to split their time between two schools.
2: No. Yeah. Although I did have a couple once agree to equal parenting time when one lived in Canada and one lived here,
1: oh my but Lord. they agreed
2: to homeschool.
1: Well, there you go. And you know, <laughs>
2: so it's not that. It's not. It's these not impossible. impossible yeah. But, but, yeah, I mean, most often when somebody lives out of state, you know, a kid has a home base, and then they spend the majority of their breaks with the other parent.
1: Okay, that, make, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so that's that can get close to equal. It won't be entirely equal, but, I mean, if you're looking at, you know, minutes and hours and days, it can get close.
2: Yeah, it's it's usually not, really, because the parent who has the kiddo during school still usually has some holiday time as well well they would have to that would be bu- a bummer you'd get to, be the, the, you get to be the bad mom or dad and
1: then you know the, the one they go visit on the breaks gets to be the good mom or right dad, you right, know? right so, so a long
2: distance plan usually ends up with the out-of-state parent having you know 30 percent of the time
1: okay yeah that 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 would make make sense so what else do you see in the process that that can't be undone or you you know sometimes see it and wish that they had done it differently
2: well, the two biggies that you can't modify are, are really the spells and maintenance that you can't go back and ask for and the property division. Okay. Um, but, you know, when people enter into agreements in mediation that mm-hmm. are fundamentally unfair, okay. that's hard. Okay. It's hard to go back and undo a patently unfair agreement or if somebody doesn't show up Mm. and a default decree is entered against them and they've been given all of the debt. Wow. And they have to do it because that's property division and you can't go back and change it. It's awful. That would hurt. That would really hurt. (laughs) And so, you know, bankruptcy usually... Uh, Not usually, but often bankruptcy becomes part of the discussion.
1: Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine what that would feel like if you walked away from that mediation knowing that you were taking on all the debt. And, you know, how do you figure out how to do that?
2: Or if you ignored the service of petition and you were mailed a decree because you didn't show up. And now you've taken everything. And, you know, he has the kids full time and you have all the debt and, you know gosh yeah it's a mess
1: Yuck. well that's the head in the sand mentality i think right and i see that happen a lot too uh, it's like well if i don't pay, pay attention it won't happen
2: yeah and, and it will and but I it should just say, may not happen
1: the way you want it to
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah and there are ways to get a decree set aside okay. so you can't modify it but there is a rule that allows you to set aside a decree okay um but time is of the essence oh, so if Lord. you have had this happen if you have had a decree entered and it's awful and it's patently unfair come see an attorney as quickly as you possibly yes. can because if if you get beyond six months it's it's, it's really done. kind of hopeless wow and we have a few things we can do in that window
1: yeah oh my gosh that's so important because i think that that's that you know that at some point you, you may um if you're in the middle of that situation wake up and realize shoot i probably shouldn't have ignored this and it, it, once you wake up and, and feel that way, get help as quickly as possible in a lot of these cases. Yeah. Because that's that's when you can you can absolutely take a look at that. Um, another thing that I did want to mention, and one of the biggest things I see that, and, and women do this probably more than men do, but I see it on both sides, is keeping the marital home to keep the kids in the home.
2: I see this too. Yeah.
1: Um, and if you can afford it, great. I mean, but make sure you can afford it because it's worse to have the kids and you in a house you can't afford than it would be and honestly sometimes I think it's better to start fresh anyway
2: yeah I know. mean it's really interesting um, one woman that I know kept her house in Scottsdale mm-hmm. um, and she uses Airbnb mm-hmm. to rent out rooms oh my lord and uh, it's actually she's she loves it I bet she does she, she gets to meet a lot of yeah, new people yeah she meets yeah. new people she really likes it She it's her thing yeah um you know, and and I get it. You know, women and men are are they don't want to go through the trauma of moving. Right. Moving is traumatic. Yeah. Let's let's just it is. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. People want to avoid that. They want to keep the kids in the same school. They want to keep their support network and their neighbors. So there's pros and cons and they have to be looked at very seriously. Right. Um on one hand, I I would say sometimes it's better to sell it because you know, let's say mom stays in the house with the kids, and dad goes and gets an apartment. Right, and now he wants equal parenting time, oh and he Lord. wants to put, let's say, three kids in one room Ugh. where they could be at home in their home that there was that was always their home, right. and he, and now dad really does have visitation. Right, it's so it's so true because he can't he, he he
1: really can't be a dad in that scenario, uh, or at the least kids not are going to be miserable. Yeah. right. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's such a good point. I th- and, and I think that's why all this has to be really thought about thoroughly before you sit down and write the. The documents. Even if you're doing it yourself, I see a lot of times, especially women, they're the worst at this, where they just want out, and so they're willing to agree to whatever mm-hmm. it's going to take to get them out. Mm-hmm. And you know, I th- I think that that's that's fair if that's where you are. But it re- you really have to consider the the the, the um, positives and negatives to every decision that you make throughout that process, because some of those are either impossible or or very very difficult to deal with when when you're through it. You know, so. I think it's so important and that's one of the things that I did want to mention for those of you that might be listening that are considering or either going through a divorce is that Billy and I do co-host a a workshop in Gilbert the second Saturday of each month ironically called Second Saturdays (laughs) Uh, and it does involve a life coach that can kind of help you with the emotional side of this but if you're interested go to my website at heritagefinancialaz.com and go to my calendar and every second Saturday you'll see the event there and be able to register and it's really just a good way to get some additional information if you're thinking about maybe this is the the um, route that you're going to take. And I have a lot of women that come in that haven't made the decision yet to divorce, mm-hmm. but they want to know what it would involve if they did. And mm-hmm. so that's a great place to start. Um, as well and so you know that is definitely something that, that um, it, it, I, I really appreciate you being involved in Billy because I you know I, I just think there aren't enough places for women to go for that for those resources that they need and your your subsidiary um,
2: company is another one I, I just love that I think that's awesome thanks Shanna it's almost a situation where there's too much information yeah. and you don't know who to trust and, and you, you don't find know what conflicting to believe things, yeah. and, and you know that can be really tough but the biggest source of anxiety is when something is unknown
1: yes and that's why I always encourage the women or men that are going through a divorce to just get answers that you're comfortable with that feel right that that are coming from a credible source and you know make a plan based on the stuff that you know not the stuff that you don't know mm-hmm. you know because I like you said I think that fear of unknown is the biggest problem um, that that I see with people that are going through this and it certainly was when I I went through mine a, a lot of years ago so I think that that's really important Billy is there Anything else that you want the uh, the listeners today to know about your practice or um, uh, divorce itself?
2: No. I mean, well, the only thing I would say is that we and I and we at Modern Law are completely um dedicated to making sure that you have access to the resources you need. Um, We have a book, Decode Your Divorce. We have a a website. We have webinars. If you have questions, call us. Great. We will try to get those information and those resources into your hands. That's amazing.
1: Definitely go to MyModernLaw.com, and um, that's where you can find all of those resources. Thank you so much for being here today. My name is Shanna Tingem with the Making Money Fun Show, and I am so thankful that you are here today, Billy. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Shanna. This (laughs) has been great. Awesome. We will see you back here next week. My special special guest is Vanessa Shaw, and we'll be talking all about a women's conference coming to Gilbert at the end of September. Again, I'm Shanna Tingem with the Making Money Fun Show.
0: Thanks for tuning in today. Be sure to catch the next episode of Making Money Fun with Shanna Tingem, live next Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great weekend and an amazing week. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker dealer. Member FINRA SIPC. Shanna Tingem, Investment Advisor Representative. Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge, guests on this show and Heritage Financial Strategies are not affiliated.